Greetings on this March 22nd, the second Sunday of Corona Lockdown, and the fourth Sunday in Lent. Once again, I'm recording this podcast for my home study, uh, but I prayed over your names and photos in the church directory just minutes ago, and I have you in mind as I proclaim the good news of Jesus today. Last week, I sat in my living room with my family, and I listened to my own sermon as part of the worship time. And I thought of all of you with small children or small attention spans as my sermon rolled well past the 25-minute mark. And so I've decided to make my sermon shorter during these days of home worship. I also want to thank Jen Milston for providing some home worship resources for kids or antsy adults to color while listening. I've been thinking a lot this week about the possibility of breaking with our Lenten series in order to address the current crisis we find ourselves in as a global community. The time may certainly come when that's the case, but as I sat with the text in our series, I'm more convinced than ever that the Holy Spirit is the one who led me to this series in May when I was on my prayer and planning retreat. We're currently in a situation that doesn't have easy answers. The sickness, the isolation, the tanking economy, and removal of so many structures and institutions and assumptions about where our security comes from the crisis of health is quickly becoming an existential crisis for us. It's a crisis of identity and an opportunity to reevaluate what is truly important in life. So with that, would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your sovereignty, for being over us, even if we don't feel um, very much in control or that you're in control. We thank you for your word that reminds us of that reality. That even as mountains slip into the ocean, you are our sovereign rock and you are unmovable. We thank you, Lord, for um, the freedom to hold things in tension as we're laid bare and, um, Lord, exposed as vulnerable. There's nothing for us to hide behind, and yet you are our rock and our anchor. And so we pray, Lord, thank you. Lord, have mercy on us and help us to trust you. Lord, speak to us words of truth words of conviction, words of comfort as we uh, explore this text today. In Jesus' name, amen. There are few things that give us such clarity in life as a crisis like the one we find ourselves in. But the other situation that strips away the masks of false pride, false security, and all things unnecessary in life is impending death. For Lent this year, we're exploring the seven last words or phrases Jesus spoke from the cross as he slowly died, giving his life to rescue us and all of creation. Jesus was socially isolated. He had lost his role as a traveling teacher. His days of socializing, making friends, of laughing with his disciples, of challenging the powers as a prophet, or of welcoming the stranger as the good shepherd— Those days were over. At least, they would never be the same after this. And it's in the midst of great personal pain and great personal loss that Jesus, stripped of all the extras and even stripped of his clothing, utters seven words that reveal what is near and dear to his heart. Forgiveness for all who sin against him is his first word. His second reveals that the smallest faith in Jesus grants us eternal life with him. 
With his third word, Jesus builds a new family, a new community around himself. What good news in these days of isolation. And last week we looked at the fourth words Jesus spoke from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In these words, we see Jesus suffering with the dark feelings of abandonment from God as he bore in himself the distance from God we deserve. In those words, we see Jesus turning to the lament psalms as a faithful place to put his deepest pain. And through this example, we can learn to do the same. God is not offended by our anger or fear or anxiety or our deep grief. We can, and we're invited to, cry out to him. In fact, let's consider pausing for just a minute. If you're listening alone or you don't want to share out loud, consider writing in a journal. Or if you're in a group and you feel comfortable, share out loud. But get it out. What are some of the fears, griefs, feelings of loss? What are the why God, why me, why my, why now, why them, why does it have to be like this? Take some time to get your cries out of your heart and mind and onto paper or into the air, and most importantly, out to God. I encourage you to pause the podcast and restart when you're ready. Well, welcome back. I hope you were able to express some of the stuff you've been carrying inside. Maybe you were even able to have a good cry. Jesus models shedding tears on more than one occasion for the grief and loss he experienced. If we listen carefully, though, we can hear in Jesus' quote, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a quote of Psalm 22, and it's an invitation to hope in the sovereign God who promises to make all things new. And that leads us to Jesus' fifth word from the cross, I thirst. If you have your Bibles with you, it's in John 19, and I'm going to be looking specifically at verses 28 and 29. Let me read them to you real quick. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. At face value, the words, I thirst, spoken by a man hanging on a cross, who's undoubtedly in shock, having lost vital fluids, they don't seem that profound. I mean, anybody would thirst. It's the most mortally human phrase one could utter in a situation like that. And many preachers and thinkers have tried to make the point that that is the point, that Jesus' words, I thirst, reveal his true humanity. That's definitely part of it. But there's so much more going on in this story, and there's so much I want to say. So if you want extra credit, I want you to look up the word hyssop on your own time uh, in a concordance and go down that rabbit hole. Or check out Psalm 22 and Psalm 69 for more on the line so that scripture might be fulfilled. But alas, I made a promise to produce a shorter sermon, so onward we must go. Okay, so Jesus is on the cross. He declares his thirst, and presumably a Roman soldier gives Jesus some cheap wine, Akus in Greek. It was this inexpensive wine common people drank in the Roman world. 
Scholars debate whether or not it was meant as a compassionate gesture, but you can check out Psalm 69, and we can almost certainly rule that out. Most likely, the Romans were taunting Jesus. Now let's pause for a moment to do some digging. Can you think of other places in the Gospel of John where Jesus is involved in scenes or sayings revolving wine, water, or thirst? Take a moment to think about it, jot it down, jot down your findings, or share with a friend if you have someone with you. Go ahead and pause the podcast, open your Bibles, look up some of those connections, and we'll come back in a minute. Okay, welcome back. We were talking about thirst scenes where Jesus is involved with wine and or water. And there are so many direct references and many more implied references in the Gospel of John. I bet you found a few. I'll point out three obvious scenes beginning with the scene from our scripture reading today, John 4 and the woman at the well. In that story, Jesus is thirsty and he asks for a drink. As he gets into a conversation with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, we find that while Jesus thirsts for water, for H2O, the woman thirsts for God. Jesus claims that he has access to the living water, to the Spirit of God, who grants eternal life. In John 2, Jesus turns ordinary water into wine. And not just any wine, but the best wine that the head waiter at that marriage party had ever tasted. But in John 19, the divine winemaker is only offered the cheap, sour wine that the world has to offer. In John 7, we read about Jesus attending this Feast of Tabernacles. It's a massive festival in the Jewish calendar, celebrating God's provision for Israel. Part of that seven-day festival was the daily drawing of the water. In in this ceremony, the priest would draw water from the pool of Siloam with a golden pitcher. And then the priest would process to the uh, altar, walk around it once, and pour it out on the altar of the temple. Now, this water pouring, this water ceremony, symbolized three main realities. First, it was a reminder of when God provided water from a rock in the wilderness, when the Israelites were in their exodus wilderness wanderings. They're in the desert, they're thirsty, there's no water around, and God provides water from a rock miraculously. Second, it is a sign of life. Actually, it is a sign that life comes from God. And third, the water pointed to hope in a future promise, when God's kingdom would come in its fullness, a new era of peace would dawn, and streams of living water would rush out of the new temple and into the Dead Sea, making the whole land come alive. This is in Ezekiel 47, for example. The people people were living under pagan rule of the Roman Empire, and they were thirsty for this living water to appear. So they would draw water, and pour it over the altar each day. But on the seventh day, that's the end of the festival, and unlike some festivals that wind down as the days go longer, the the Feast of Tabernacles would actually wind up so that the seventh day was the height of the festival, the day when most of the pilgrims would swell the population of Jerusalem from its standing population of roughly fifty to 80,000 to nearly 200,000 people. 
The masses would crowd the temple to see the special seventh-day water ceremony, where the priest would circle the the altar with the golden pitcher of water not once, but seven times. And it was in this setting, when the crowd was at its height of national longing for God to once again deliver them, that Jesus emerges from the crowd and shouts, "'If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now think about Jesus on the cross. Jesus, the one who was present at creation, John 1, who spoke creation, including water, into being, the one who turned water into wine and offers living water. What is he doing on the cross declaring his thirst. Jesus is taking on our thirst. To quote N.T. Wright, Jesus must come to the place where everyone else is, the place of thirst, the place of shame, and the place of death. Jesus won't always be thirsty for water, but unless he had taken our thirst, we would be. We would be stuck ever thirsting for life, but surrounded by death. I'll close with this final reflection on the text. Jesus' fourth word, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a cry of dereliction. It is a cry of emptiness. It is a cry of loss. It's a cry expressing a void. But Jesus' fifth word, I thirst, now that's a cry of need. It's a cry of desire, a cry that goes somewhere. His fourth word was a cry of what was no longer. His fifth word is a visionary cry of what Jesus hopes for. You know, this coronavirus has stripped away so many of our false securities. The stock market, jobs that once seemed so secure, businesses that, that, that were thriving, plans of what we would be doing next week or for spring break or for summer vacation, if not totally canceled, then greatly altered or on hold. Like the vinegar drink on a sponge, the world will offer us cheap, sour wine, wine that at best prolongs our suffering with momentary pleasure. But it is the living water we need, isn't it? Last week, and even earlier in this sermon, we took time to consider our grief and our loss, our fears and anxiety. I ask us now to join Jesus in confessing his fifth word. You may have thought I titled the sermon, I Thirst, to mimic Jesus' words. But the title is fitting because it really suits us. We're thirsty. And I would like you and me to consider What are you thirsty for? Once you face grief and loss, disappointment and disorientation, what do you really thirst for deep down in your soul? I think once you reflect on that, either by yourself or in a group setting, let me encourage you to close this time in a prayer of your own words, in your own setting, whether that's your living room or outside or wherever you are. And until next time, may the Lord of life, Jesus himself, 
grant you living water in this desert time. Amen.